Proverbs 5, act with foresight and speak with insight. That's your Proverbs for today, or proverb for today. So today is the third, um, third in, uh, and final week of a short series that I'm calling The End. And um, it's an exploration of what the Bible says about the end of the world. And uh, so if you have not been able to be here, you can go to the church website and the, they're, 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 for, they're for free. You can listen to them online or download them and I encourage you to do that. Um, you know, I mean, if you, if you were here for the last couple of weeks and you thought it was kind of creepy and scary a little bit, you know, you haven't seen anything yet because today, you know, I mean... It'll be okay, honey. It really will be okay. I mean, admittedly, the the topics that come up around the end times are unusual. They're supernatural. And that example of water turning to blood um, is kind of creepy. And and, uh, admittedly, it is. But there's something completely different that I hope you're going to experience today as we... um, we go through the Revelation. How many of you might think that the book of Revelation is intriguing or confusing at the same time? I mean, it's interesting, but it's kind of confusing. It's, it's a little bit exciting. It's kind of scary. Anybody else feel that way? You're, you all go, no, it's a natural, normal book. No, we... You. And, um, you know, I get people that say to me every once in a while, say, you know, you should get into that and preach that book because it's kind of, you know, it's kind of creepy. I'd like to get into that creepy thing. I mean, it is kind of creepy. People want to hear about it, not because it is creepy, but because they want it to not be creepy. Did that make any sense at all? It did. I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there that's pretty wild. There's dragons and there's beasts and there's creatures with multiple heads and there's, you know, 666 and, you know, there's 12 stars and, and 10 horns and, you know, seven heads and six seals and just six wings and bowls and partridges and pear trees. There's everything possible in there. And the, the challenge for a lot of people when they get into the revelation, when they think about it, is they get scared and they kind of get creeped out. The problem, I think, for them is that they really don't know how to read it or how, what the context is. And, and because, because there's a promise. It's in, right at the very beginning of the book. It's in Revelation 1, verse 3. It basically says that if you read it, if, or if you listen to the prophecies of this book, you're going to be blessed. That's it. It's the only book in the whole Bible that's audacious enough to, to make that kind of a promise. If you just read this, or if you even have somebody else read it to you and you listen to it, you're going to get a blessing. That's quite a promise. So did you know that today, just by sitting through this sermon, you're going to get this special blessing from God? Oh, come on, you got to have more faith than that. That's not me talking. That's the word of God talking. So, because Revelation says that it it will bless you if you read it or if you hear it. And if you know how to read it, if you understand a little bit, which I'm going to help you with today, what it's going to do is it will actually build your faith. This book will build your faith. So, I want to help you learn how to read it in a way that will build your faith. I want to start, though, by giving you a little bit of the backstory, some context to help us understand it. The title of the book, The Revelation... Um, some older versions say the apocalypse is uh, actually a Greek word, apocalypsis, and it's, by the way, it's a singular word. The book, the title of the book is The Revelation, The Revelation, not Revelations. Okay, so anytime you hear somebody referencing Revelations, you know that they haven't actually been taught well about this. So now you can all act like you've been taught well because when someone says Revelations, you say, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's only one. It's actually the revealing or the the word literally means to be revealed or unveiled. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's the unveiling, the explaining of who Jesus is, an awful lot about Jesus, that's the key to helping us understand that. So um, it was written by um, the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, John. And at the time that he was writing this, he was the last living apostle of the original 12. The rest of them had all died off. And, um, and the story about them was that um, um, he, he was the last living one. And of those others... One, of course, you know of Judas. He was the one who betrayed Jesus. He committed suicide, so he took his own life. Um, The other 10, every single one of the other 10, history records that every one of them died a martyr's death. They were tortured and put to death because they would not change their story. They They would not agree to any assertion that Jesus didn't die and was raised from the dead. They wouldn't, they absolutely hold, held to that truth, which is an interesting it's an interesting um, point for those who are not too sure about Christianity, not too sure why they should believe the story that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Those that were there refused to change their story. And they, they refused even to the point of being tortured. They were certain unmovable on the fact that he was raised from the dead. The dates of the book vary a little bit. Uh, that's about figure about 60 ish years after Jesus was, uh, was resurrected. And so this, the year would have been about 95 AD approximately, just in approximate numbers. And here's the story. Emperor Domitian, who was a brother to Titus and Titus Vespasian, the two guys that did a siege on Jerusalem and tore it down in the 70s. He, did, he was the first of the uh, emperors of Rome to decide while he was alive, he was God. So he made a declaration while he's alive, I am God. That's what he says. And he further, he goes on, he says, so bow down and worship me. Pretty bold statement. And of course, here you have um, the apostle John going, hold on a minute. Um, I saw Jesus. I saw him resurrected. I know who God is. I know who the Lord is. And you're not him. I'm not bowing down. Okay. So he gets, uh, he he, uh, exiles John to a place um, called the Isle of Patmos. And he was living in a cave there. It's an actual cave that you can go and visit today. There are tourist trips. You can actually go there and see the cave where he lived. And uh, while he was there, he was visited by an angel of the Lord. And the Lord gave him a vision and told him to write things down. And that's where we get the, uh, the book that we're about to, to look into. The actual, actually, chapters 2 and 3 are actual letters Jesus dictated to letters to, ch- to churches in Asia that were there about that time. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of break the book down into five sections. And uh, they're not official sections, but they're, they're break, it's a breakdown as I see it. And um, I'm going to encourage you sometime to just read the book. It'll take you 45 minutes or so if you can sit down uninterrupted and read it from beginning to end. And, uh, and then if you do it, and you do it in light of who Jesus is, I believe you'll have a different understanding as you go through it, and you'll have a, um, um, you'll, your faith will be built up. So, okay, first section is, uh, I'm, I'm going to divide this into chapters one through three. And uh, in this section, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And the primary theme in this section is that Jesus is returning soon. So John has this vision in Revelation 1, verses 7 and 8. He says, look. He is coming with the clouds. Now, this isn't the first return of Jesus that we talked about the first week of, of this message series where, he's, where we said he comes back as a thief, in the, like a thief in the night. And those, the ones who left behind didn't even know what was going on. 
Um, this is the second coming when he comes back. The first time he comes back, he comes back for his church. The second time he comes back with his church. Um, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And now Jesus is speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, what he says, when he says the Alpha and the Omega, Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. It'd be like if he was to say in English, I am the A and the Z. I'm the beginning and the end. It's like he's saying, I was there before the beginning of the world and I will be there at the end and afterwards. I'm already there. And if you want to know what's going to happen, if you want to know what's going to happen, he's saying, you don't need to worry because I'm the alpha and the omega. And if you're a Christian, should you be afraid of what's going to be coming at the end? No, no. He's, it, it, it ends with, he's saying, it ends with good news because I'm the alpha and the omega. He goes on, verse 14. His head and hair were white, like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Okay, hold on a minute. We're already going to get stuck now, I can tell. We start seeing all this symbolism going on, and is he literally holding seven stars? And, um, you know, what's, what, what's with these seven stars? If you read through this book, you're going to find there's a lots of symbolizing going on, but every bit of that is explained somewhere. And in fact, this one is explained in just a few verses. Um, we're going to see that um, John tells us that the seven stars, they represent the seven angels of the seven churches that Jesus writes letters to in the next two chapters. He writes these letters, they go in the next two chapters. And so, okay. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. Okay, here we go again. What is this? Is this like a Las Vegas act where the guy stands back and goes, oh, 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 and the answer is no. That's not what's going on here. Um, all, uh, many places the word of God is referenced as a double-edged sword. This is Jesus speaking God's word. This is Jesus speaking God's word. It, and so, okay, so we'll continue here. Um, that theme we see over and over again. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, this is interesting for me because um, you'll find references, mentions in the Gospels about John. And he was a very, very close friend of Jesus. You'll just see him reference there. There were times that they were hanging out together and they weren't with the rest. And there just was a very good, close relationship there. A um, little different. And at this point, Jesus is not buddy-buddy. He's now, at this point, the Alpha and the Omega. That's who we see Jesus is in these, in these chapters. And in his presence, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, John falls on his face in awe and in worship in the presence and um, as, you know, and, and, and goes on and says, what does Jesus do in that moment? He says, then he placed his right hand on me and he said, just like angels have been saying all through scripture, he's saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And then here's the gospel that we see over and over again in the, in the Bible. Here it is in Revelation. I am the living one. I'm the living one. I was dead, but they couldn't keep me dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death. And Hades. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. 
the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I hold the keys to death and Hades. If you see Jesus for who he is in Revelation, the Revelation, it's going to build your faith. So section one, he's the Alpha and the Omega, who's the soon returning King, uh, king of Kings. Section two, this next section is chapters four and five. And in this, in this section, I see Jesus as, as, as the Lamb of God. 28 times you'll see him called in this book, in, in the Revelation, the Lamb of God. And the main theme here is Jesus is worthy to open up the scroll. Now, you might say, okay, that's a lot more imagery. What do you mean he's worthy to open the scroll? In chapters 4 and 5, here's what's going on. You'll see God is sitting on his throne, and he's got this giant scroll in his hand, and the scroll is sealed with seven seals. And uh, the scroll is, if you will, it's kind of like a a last will and testament. It's like, here's a plan for what's going to happen at the end of days. Okay, so God is sitting on his throne. He's got this, this scroll, and it's sealed shut. And an angel is saying, who's worthy? Who is worthy to take those seals off and, and, and read that scroll. And they looked around and nobody could be found in heaven to do it. And John, the word says, he starts crying. He's brokenhearted about this. And, he's, he's, you know, and then suddenly he looks up and he sees this lamb. He sees what he calls a lamb. Um, five, verse six. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Remember, G- Jesus had been slain for the forgiveness of our sins standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And drop down to verse nine. And they, and they sang a new song to Jesus, the Lamb of God. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Here, again, here comes the gospel again. Because you, the Lamb of God, were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, some of you might look at this imagery and go, okay, this lamb thing, I don't get that. I don't get that. But this would have been incredibly powerful imagery for John's readers because they would have got this picture for a couple of really good reasons. They would have remembered when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. And you might remember this phrase too. He sees Jesus coming and he says, behold, the Lamb of God sent to save the sins of the world, save the world from their sins when he saw Jesus coming. They would have had another really good reason to identify with this imagery and it would have been an event we call the Passover. And um, the Passover relates back to when the nation of Israel were were slaves in, in, in Egypt and there was a tussle going on and Moses and God and using his instrument, Moses wanted them, Pharaoh to let them go, and Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, and so these, the Lord kept turning up the heat with a series of plagues and curses, and he finally got down to the most difficult curse, which was, you don't let them go, it's going to cost you your firstborn. And so on the night of the Passover, God instructed his people, saying, here's what you need to do. You need to sacrifice a lamb, sacrificial lamb, and you take the blood of that lamb, and you put it on the top of the door and on the sides. And when the angel of death comes over Egypt, if the angel of death is coming and is going to take the lives of all of the firstborn of Egypt, every one of them in there. But if a family is covered by the blood of the lamb, the angel of death passes over and they keep life. You get the imagery there. What a wonderful picture that is. So, so this would have been a, a very vivid picture being called the Lamb of God. I mean, and uh, you know, this is a s- side trail. I won't spend much time on this, but 
picture this, putting this blood up on the top of the door and on the two sides. You know what's going to happen. You put the blood up there, it's going to drip, right? So here's this image of this, this image on this door. Do you, do you get the geographic? An image of the cross, all the way painted back in the Old Testament. Um, I just love that. That's, that's not doctrine, by the way. It's just one of my crazy rabbit trails. I love that kind of stuff. So, um, so when, when John says, I saw the Lamb of God, he says, I saw the Lamb of God. Everybody there in heaven is filled with this sense of awe and with hope. Yes, Jesus is worthy. He's worthy to open the, open the scrolls. The Lamb of God is worthy. So who is Jesus in Revelation? He begins out as the Alpha and the Omega, and then he shows himself as the Lamb of God. And then section, the next section is where things kind of start to get a little bit crazy. Okay, um, these will be uh, chapters six through 18. And if you're wondering in the book, where is all this stuff about the mark of the beast and the Antichrist and 666, read chapters six to 18. I wouldn't encourage you to make this the last thing you read before going to sleep at night. But you can, it's okay. But I mean, it's better to read it in the afternoon and you know, when you can kind of get through the whole thing. I mean, in, in, in this section, Jesus is the righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. And you will see, um, if you read these chapters, remembering that he's a righteous judge, then you, the main theme you'll see is that re- Jesus righteously judges the earth. If you've ever turned on the TV and there's a, you know, kind of a guy with an odd hairdo and stuff going on and he's talking about the end times and Israel and all this kind of stuff, he's probably reading from these chapters or the book of Daniel. Okay, that's that. This is where this guy probably is. And, um, you know, if, if you're interested in those events now, I, I can't stop and explain all of these things for you today. But I'm going to give you a few of the significant events that are described in those passages. These are just just I'm just going to gloss over these. One thing is that the temple is going to be rebuilt in Israel. We see that in um, Revelation 11. We don't really know when, but it's obviously there. And it doesn't, it's not there today, so at some point it gets rebuilt. The, another thing that happens is that the Antichrist, the beast, rises and institutes something called the mark of the beast. By the way, if you read the Revelation, you are not going to find the word Antichrist there. You'll find it in other places in the New Testament. Um, here we're going to see the word beast used. It's synonymous here with, with the beast. Another event is that the Antichrist is killed, head, mortal head wound, but then he still lives. He's raised to life. You see that in Revelation 13. Another event is that God appoints two witnesses to perform miracles and to preach. These witnesses are murdered and they're raised to life. This stuff should be making the news someday, don't you think? I mean, guys are murdered and in fact, their, their bodies are left out for a couple of days and, and then they get up. If that doesn't make the news, then there's a bias in the news, okay? I'm just gonna say that right now. <laughs> I'm, anyway, so and then another event is the Antichrist um, begins to, he kills some world leaders and starts moving things towards a one world um, government. And then, of course, we've heard of the Battle of Armageddon where there's a big battle and um, Antichrist is defeated there. So as you read verses 618, remember Jesus is the righteous judge. Now, I'm going to just take a minute and show you a little bit about three different judgments that are issued on the earth in that time. The first one we'll call the seal judgments. See that in Revelation 6. And you're going to read about things like the four riders of the apocalypse. The moon is going to turn to blood red. You'll see a lot of bloodshed from war. A fourth of the world's population will die from famine, plagues, and wild beasts. A second judgment we'll call the trumpet judgments. And you see the reference there. 
hail and fire mixed with blood will fall from the sky. You're going to see demonic uh, locusts. A third of the vegetation is destroyed. A third of the water is contaminated. A third of the sea creatures die. A third of the light is lost. A third of the world. I mean, this is going to make global warming look like the good old days. No comments about the global warming. We don't joke about that, I suppose. Okay, so lighten up on me a little bit. Come on, it's okay. I know, but Terry, it's hard to lighten up on you. You're talking about hailstones and fire. And, okay, you got me there. Um, and I remember all during this time, all during this time, God still gives people an opportunity to turn and repent. There is still grace available in the middle of even all these judgments. The third judgment is the bold judgments. You'll see that in Revelation 16. Sores will appear on people who have taken the mark of the beast. Water turns to blood. Everything in it dies. Sun scorches people. Earthquakes. 100-pound hail. 100-pound hail. Um, that will scratch your car. And, <laughs> you know, and if you're listening to, to all this and you don't like this part, you're like me. I mean, I don't like it either. In fact, you know, I, I think sometimes people read this and they go, this doesn't seem loving, this doesn't seem fair. They, they just, it, you know, and I, I think this is important. We talked about this last week. It's really, really an important principle. The things going on here, here's the principle. This is just and it is fair. I mean, we, we asked the question last week, how many of you know somebody who has done something wrong or horrible, has, has really hurt someone else and they got away with it. There was no punishment. There was no fixing it. There was no reconciliation. They hurt somebody. They did somebody violent or they did something that just really hurt somebody and they didn't have to pay. We look at that and we go, that's just not fair. It's just not right. They should, you know, there should be a punishment for that. And part of the reason we look at that is because we know inwardly, we know inwardly that those kinds of things need to be brought back into balance. I mean, we do. Our kids know it. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this later, but my dogs even know that. They do. This is gross. <laughs> okay. My wife's going, don't tell that story because I'm short of time. Yeah. So I got up this morning early. <laughs> okay. Something gross happened and my dogs knew. They skulked like, we know we shouldn't have done that. Okay, end of story. <laughs> Sorry, honey. You can punish me later. Okay, whatever that means. Um, I mean, we do. We, we look at things, and yes, this is just. We've explored that in detail last week. But this is now a time in history where God has said, you know, I have for millennia explained and given people opportunities and, 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 and shared grace and spoken grace and sent prophets and given opportunities and forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. It's time now for everything to finally come into balance. Have to draw the line and we're there. And so he would say, I'm now judging the world for its sinfulness. It's almost as if God knew that you and I might be a bit skeptical. And so here we are at Revelation 16 get this. Then I heard an angel in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments. You are who you were, the Holy One, because you have so judged. Who is Jesus? He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Lamb of God. He's a righteous judge. The fourth section, Revelation chapters 19 and 20, Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the main theme here is that Jesus returns 
with his church. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Remember in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And then you get to, to verse 14 and it says the word became flesh. So here's Jesus. He's the word of God. Um, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. Again, this is the word of God. And, and with, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not a candidate that we elect. He's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. And when you read the Revelation, knowing who Jesus is, it will build your faith. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Lamb of God, the Righteous Judge, King of Kings. In the last section, section 5, chapters 21 and 22, Jesus becomes the bridegroom. And we're the bride. So the theme here is that Jesus takes his bride to the heavenly city. Um, Verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came and said to me, come, and I'm going to show you the bride. That's the church. Those of you who are Christians. The wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And this is the new heaven and the new earth that we talked about last week. Jesus is the bridegroom, comes back for us, and it takes us to the new heaven and the new earth. And there will be no more crying and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more divorce and no more loneliness and no more cancer and no more brokenhearted and no more kids breaking the hearts of their parents or parents breaking the hearts. None of that. That's gone. Uh, Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Jesus is the bridegroom returning for us, his bride. Now, chicks dig this metaphor. (laughs) I'll translate that. Ladies like this picture. (laughs) They do. They do. They like it. And, and, and some ladies, you know, they like the picture because uh, being a bride was a childhood dream. And many ladies have, they, they get to that dream and they have a great marriage. Some ladies don't. And they're going, yeah, they like that picture because my husband wasn't a good husband and he hurt me. But Jesus will be a bridegroom who loves me. And the dudes look on and they go, I want to be a bride. What's that all about? Yeah. Yeah. Translation, guys, <laughs> dudes. <laughs> Translation, there's something there that's new and fresh for you where you aren't going to have to push, where you aren't going to have to always be the covering, where you aren't going to have to maintain sometimes when you just want to rest and be the protected one. You were built by the Lord to be what you are today today. But that season is coming too, and that will be good. You get to be a bride, guys. 
All the guys go, I get to be a bride. You guys are all threatened by your feminine half, I can tell. And what, and what is the king saying to you and me today? What's he saying at the end of the revelation? He's saying the same thing that he's been saying from the beginning of Genesis all the way through to the end. What is he saying today to people that don't know him? He says this. He's saying, he's saying come. Come on. Read uh, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Everybody say, come. Come. Yeah, good. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And there are those people that are probably hearing this today that some of us could be really spiritually parched. You know, you're thirsty, you're searching. You're searching for something and you know it. You know that there's something you've spent, and some of us may have spent a lifetime thinking there's got to be something. There's got to be some place, someone, something that fills this parched, dry place. And the Spirit says, come. Come whoever you are. Come however you are. Taste the living water, and you will never, ever thirst again. I, I know, I mean, I hear from people sometimes they say, but I'm just not good enough. The Spirit says, come now. It doesn't say, come now, if you can, A, B, and C. It says, just come on, come on. This whole book, you know, the Revelation, it's, it's viewed many times as scary and freaky, you know. But here's what the very last verse in this book says. Here's the good news. Verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. And then we're going to say this. Come, Lord Jesus. We want to live for you. And, you know, how does this book end? The grace, this unmerited favor. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen. The closing words from the book. The closing words. May the grace of our God be with God's people. That's why when you read the Revelation, in light of who Jesus is, if you're a Christian, you don't need to be afraid. You just don't need to be afraid because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lamb of God. He's the righteous judge. He's the King of kings. And he's the bridegroom. May the grace of God be with God's people forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.